0: Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that happen in history. I'm your host once again, Barnaby King, and joining me is my co-host Amelia Edwards. Hello. Hello. How have you been? It's been a long while since we last recorded (laughs) the podcast.
1: (laughs) This is one of those moments of podcast magic. We're recording this on the same night that we recorded last week. (laughs)
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Because usually when I do a two-parter, it's because I've got halfway through and it's like, this is too long already. I can't be asked to research anymore. Let's just record what we've got. No. (laughs) In this occasion, I actually did all the research at once and was then like, this is definitely a (laughs) (laughs) two-parter. So we are recording back to back. Woo. 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 And it is night time. <laughs> it is, yes. So if we start to flag, <laughs> that's why. And if we start getting terrified, it's because creepy clowns have appeared at the window. Because yes, we are continuing from last week talking about Joseph Grimaldi, the father of modern clowning. <gasps> now last week we covered Grimaldi's family, yeah. uh, who were a mixed bag. <laughs> yes. And Grimaldi's early life, where he began his performance at the age of two. Yep. Under the tutelage of his bastard pedo dad. <laughs> you know, I thought to myself, I'm gonna say that and see what happens. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, he was. Like, he, Joseph Grimaldi's mother was 14 when, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what?
1: I don't have any objection to the term pedo dad. (laughs) Okay. I just think technically he wasn't a bastard
0: though. (laughs) Okay, fine, fine. He's not a bastard, but he is certainly a pedo dad. Okay. Uh, He was about 60 and Grimaldi's mother was about 14 when Joseph was conceived. So pretty grim. Yep grimaldi's early life uh taken up by a lot of schooling and a lot of performing and last week we ended with him securing himself as the leading clown of the london stage yeah the clown being a specific role in the harlequinade so if you don't know what we're talking about you definitely need to go back and listen to it because yeah. you know it's not exactly what you think pantomime was a very different thing back in the 18th century and 19th century, actually, now we're going into...
1: Yeah, I mean, we're on to Napoleonic War years!
0: Woo! Yeah, just about, yeah. In fact, that comes up very shortly.
1: <laughs> See, this is me. I look out for, like, eighteen oh, and I'm like, yes! <laughs> Sharp's around the corner. Yep. We're about to get on to Jane Austen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we're not going to be dealing with such highbrow artistry. Yeah, no. We're going to go with... You know, clowning and pantomime, which to be fair, there were a mix of audiences. Like, you had, you had high class people going to these sorts of performances just in, just in better quality theatres.
1: I reckon there's possibly one. Maybe two characters in Jane Austen who could potentially have gone to see Grimaldi.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Because they were in London at the time. Yeah. And, you know, it was the season, so they were supposed to be doing classy things. But I
0: presume you get bored. Almost certainly. And, I mean, a lot of people saw Grimaldi over his lifetime. uh, And there were a number of people who were big fans of his. Mm. uh, One of which will come up later and is quite surprising. The other I've actually already mentioned being Charles Dickens. Yeah. Who... I've read in some cases he might have had acrophobia. What's that? That is the fear of clowns. But
1: he really liked he this really clown. liked
0: Grimaldi, right. which is why I'm a bit uncertain. But it, it, it's it's this thing where people are diagnosing people like from history, and we did do that last week, and I will continue to do that in asserting that Grimaldi had depression.
1: Yeah. But Wait, it, was Dickens even around at this point in his early career? I can't imagine so. Uh,
0: I. Th- think I don't know about this point but he certainly was around for some of it because... oh I, I
1: believe some of it but I know that he was writing books more in the 1830s yeah at the age of 25 so
0: oh yeah fair enough yeah
1: <laughs> so I think he must have been a fan from a child he'll
0: be later then okay <laughs> Well, we now have Grimaldi. He's kind of all but seen off his rival, Jean-Baptiste Dubois. Mm -hmm. And he now presents himself as the leading clown of the London stage. Unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) And that is a word that will come into play a number of times. During a production called The Great Devil, he accidentally shot himself in the foot. Oh my God. Yeah. How? I don't know. Okay. Okay. But he did have to rest and recover for five weeks, which. That's surprisingly short. It is a surprisingly short amount of time. Now, Grimaldi was known for putting his body through hell, basically. Yeah. I kind of suspect he hadn't fully healed and he was just kind of working through the pain. Because to be honest, it sounds like. Yeah, it sounds like he was probably in pain most of his life.
1: Like, okay. Like, thinking about it, I know I compared Grimaldi to like a WWE superstar the other day.
0: There is actually
1: like it's quite
0: accurate really yeah
1: well i was just thinking like sometimes wwe professional athletes do hurt themselves yeah and then they usually take what like more than eight weeks to recover oh, yeah
0: no that, like but the the thing that i would say compares them quite well is that many of those wrestlers like they can injure themselves really badly during a match and will finish the match yeah like, and then of course they have to go off and take several months to recover. Yeah. But it's like in recent months, we've had, uh, Cody Rhodes who wrestled with a separated pectoral muscle. Oh my God. Uh, it's really quite grim. Like he, basically his boob was purple. <laughs> of course. Yeah. It's really nasty. There was Cesaro a number of years ago who hit the ring post and his front teeth would shoved up into his gums
1: i remember that i didn't see it but i remember that being the after effects yeah
0: absolutely like and there's many cases of like separated shoulders and limbs not quite broken but you know dislocated or it's
1: and then they still come back yeah
0: absolutely but in this case
1: they've got a company that's insisting that they take more time off yeah
0: whereas grimaldi was basically like If he doesn't work, he doesn't get any money.
1: Yeah. How is his foot even healing?
0: I don't know. Okay. I have absolutely no idea. Now, of course, Grimaldi, as we talked about last week, he was still pretty grief-stricken after the death of his wife. Mm. And Grimaldi's mother was really concerned that during this rest time, her son would just fall apart. Like, without anything to distract himself He would just sink into a depression and not come out of it. Yeah. So she decides to get him some help, someone he can talk to. uh, And she recruits one of the dancers called Mary Bristow. Okay. And asks her to care for him during those weeks. Right. And this is actually a really good idea because the two form a romantic attachment. (laughs) Okay. They actually married on Christmas Eve of the same year.
1: Man, this lady, like his mum. Yeah. Is surprisingly good at matchmaking oh yeah
0: and seems to be pretty successful given her start in life oh absolutely like she does fantastically well well she does pretty well
1: (laughs) which is a lot to hope for in the time with the conditions she's under
0: yeah when you're a teenage mother living in a slum Managing to get out of that is an amazing feat.
1: Yes. And then also just being really good at matchmaking. Yeah, Being just... like, hey, talk to my son for a second.
0: <laughs> Fall in love with him. Why not? <laughs> talk to my son. Get married. You know, see what happens. Yeah.
1: Become part <laughs> of the family. Support me in my old age.
0: <laughs> I mean, to be fair, at this point, she's only in her 30s, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> well... There was, unfortunately, no Christmas pantomime at Drury Lane that year. And this was because Grimaldi had a falling out with Kemble, the producer. Oh, no. And he ended up actually being dismissed from the company. Wow. So he decided to take the opportunity to tour some more provincial theatres. He appeared in Exeter in a theatre owned by his father-in-law as well as in Kent. Okay. And in a production in March 1802 in Kent, he was paid £300 for two days' work. Whoa. Yeah, so he's doing pretty well for himself.
1: Yeah, touring sounds like it's paying off.
0: Yeah. As well, during this time, the Drury Lane Theatre saw that without the pantomimes, and more importantly without Grimaldi, Mm. ticket sales plummeted. Yep. So Grimaldi was quickly reinstated.
1: (laughs) Maldi, we're so sorry.
0: (laughs) But it was during this sort of intervening period that he made a famous performance at Sadler's Wells Theatre. Okay. This is when he developed his clown into an immortal spectacle that really still survives today. Okay. He appeared on stage in garish costume as bright and colourful, if not more so, than the Harlequin. Okay. His face was covered in thick white grease paint... And he had two red chevrons on his cheeks and bright red lips. Well, that sounds familiar. Yeah. His curly black hair had been styled upwards into a bouffant do. Okay. And he wore a large ruffled collar. Hey. So, listeners, in case you don't get it, that is the modern clown. If you except think of for like, a red nose. Except for a red nose. But if you think about a clown, mm. you basically are thinking of... Joseph Grimaldi. That look has kind of remained an immortal idea of what a clown is.
1: That's an amazing achievement.
0: Yeah. The whole design is meant to look anarchic. Okay. And he brings that anarchy to the stage. So... So it's not meant to look, like, funny. No, it's meant to look chaotic. Right. And mischievous and, in its own way, a little bit dark. I mean... Yeah,
1: that's kind of the problem a lot of people have with clowns.
0: Exactly. So, this is the thing like, obviously, a lot of people are wary at best of yeah. clowns. Yeah. And the thing is, in a way, you're kind of meant to be. They're kind of meant to be this sort of chaotic mirror to life. All right. So, yeah, I think we have to appreciate that. Clowning at this time Is an art form of itself I know it is still now And there are probably people Who like may know People who do clowning Who might get offended That me sort of Almost deriding Modern clowning Because obviously It is hard work
1: Yeah But I guess we're kind of Going on it On the assumption of like I don't know Crusty the clown level clowns
0: You know (laughs) A little bit Yeah
1: Or like The sort of things That you used to see In cartoons as kids Before people got very Scared of clowns Yeah
0: yeah well the look was a massive success and this actually this was so popular audiences were so amazed and intrigued and like just wanted to see more of Grimaldi it actually led to Jean-Baptiste Dubois leaving the Sadler's Wells Theatre Company oh my god basically is like I cannot possibly compete with him right And I don't know if he really performed again. Wow. (laughs) Or at least he didn't perform on any of the same stages as Grimaldi.
1: I mean, geez, it's really easy now because you just go on a night when he's not there and you wear his makeup and and (laughs) people will think of him. That does actually
0: happen later on. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You look at you. Look at you being like uh, precognizant.
1: I'm very precognizant.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well... Grimaldi's clown was, as I say, something entirely new alongside the traditional acrobatics and like grisly facial contortions, yeah, he would also engage in repulsive acts of eating. I don't oh. know what these were
1: what like, um, oh, who am I thinking of that guy who ate a lot of stuff
0: terre terre, yeah, quite possibly, but I think this was more prop work and not real stuff.
1: yeah i hope so yeah
0: i don't i th- hope he's
1: not eating forks
0: no he's not eating forks or eels after crushing their heads and yeah yeah eels whole i should say um <laughs> i'm imagining it being like the way dwight, dwight
1: shrew eats in the
0: office <laughs> <laughs> i
1: don't think that's what they mean
0: <laughs> no i don't think so uh he also behaved in kind of a childlike way which wasn't common for clowns at the time. Like, now, when you think about it, clowns are kind of...
1: Sometimes boyish, clowns. Boyish
0: man-children. Ch- man yeah. And this was something that kind of came from Grimaldi. And it, as such, his clown actually received a new name. Okay. Like, he was still known officially as the clown, but people referred to his clown as Joey. Okay. And that is a nickname that has survived. I don't know if it survived to this day beyond very niche circles. Right. But for a long time, clowns who followed in Grimaldi's footsteps would receive the nickname Joey on stage.
1: Okay. Wow.
0: Yeah. Without Dubois, Grimaldi began performing alongside his friend, Jack Bologna. And the two became a really powerful duo who were described as unrivaled among the Harlequinade. mm it was also in 1802 that Grimaldi's son was born. This is Joseph Samuel, whom his parents nicknamed J.S. Right. Really original nickname there. <laughs> Just yeah, take his I love initials. It.
1: But also, I love that they're like slowly moving away from the, the family's yeah. traditional naming. Yeah. We're still kind of going for they're it. They're still
0: keeping the Joseph part yeah. of it. <laughs> now, despite the fact that Grimaldi did bring his son into the theatre at 18 months old, he was more concerned that JS should receive an education rather than immediately becoming a performer. And he actually enrolled him in the same academy, Mr. Ford's, that Joseph himself had gone to. Oh, right. I mean, that's a good sign for his own education as well, surely. Yeah, absolutely. So... Jo- like, yeah, Joseph is pretty happy to let Mr. Ford take over JS, but also JS is going into school much earlier mm. than Joseph, it- Joseph did. Okay. So, I think that, you know, he's got, he's got, like, good thinking there. Yeah. Grimaldi's popularity boomed further in, in the subsequent years due to the outbreak of...
1: The Napoleonic
0: War? Yes, exactly.
1: Yay! Audiences
0: basically wanted comic relief from the international situation.
1: Understandable.
0: And Grimaldi played to packed houses. Sometimes they had to add in, not just add in extra seats, but pack people in standing so that they could see him.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, you've said that this theatre used to burn down a lot. I'm a bit worried. Yeah,
0: that is fair. (laughs) It probably did at this point. (laughs) By 1805, he was asked at short notice to become the dance master at Drury Lane Theatre. Wow. This was basically because the dance master at the time had gone. Oh. I don't know why. (laughs) Okay. But he was no longer on the cards. Was
1: he French, maybe?
0: (laughs) Possibly. Or possibly he'd gone to fight in the Napoleonic Wars. Who knows? Right. (laughs) But either way, he's not there. And they're like, oh, no, we need a new dance master. Hey, Grimaldi, would you step in for a bit? Yeah. And Grimaldi's like, okay, that's fine. I'll do that. But you are going to increase my wages by £2 a week. Ooh. And not just for my time as the dance master, but for the entire run of this show. Okay. Now, Drew Lane Theatre are a bit like, we don't really want to pay you that, but you are Grimaldi, and you yeah. are basically the reason people come to the theatre these days. <laughs> yeah. So they agreed... But by the time a new ballet master was found, they basically reneged on their promise and reduced Grimaldi's wages back to what they had been.
1: I'm not super surprised.
0: I'm not super surprised either. But the thing is, Grimaldi does have an expanding family going on. And he knows his worth.
1: Yeah. No, he probably definitely deserved that extra two pounds. Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. And he knew this. He was angry at... He was angry as all hell at this. Right. And he sought the advice of a friend, a man called Thomas Dibdin.
1: Really? Who,
0: yeah, I know, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he was a part of the Sadler's Wells Theatre Company. He wrote a number of the plays that Grimaldi had played in. Oh. And Dibdin suggested that Grimaldi leave Drury Lane and take up residency at the nearby Covent Garden Theatre. Okay. They eagerly accepted Grimaldi, (laughs) and he began a prominent and prolific career with Covent Garden.
1: Oh my god, things never change. Like, nowadays, you know, if you want to get a pay rise, you leave your current job and you
0: go to somewhere else. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Same thing here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Now, Grimaldi is generally most often associated with the Covent Garden theatre, but there is still a bit of a legacy with Drury Lane because the Theatre Royal there mm. is said to be where Joseph Grimaldi's ghost lives. Yes. Now, when we heard this story, we heard the story of a basically a floating head. Yes. Now, I couldn't actually verify this story. <laughs> okay. I have I have read things about you know the ghost of Joseph Grimaldi, but in that he definitely had a body,
1: right? Because okay, there's a so sl- it wasn't a floating ghost no. head.
0: I don't know where that came from. Okay, because that would definitely have been Joseph's father, Giuseppe. Yes, who had his head cut off when he died so that he wouldn't be buried alive. Yeah. So I don't know. I think we have some mixed messages there going. Okay,
1: <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but. So it is supposed to be our Joseph... Yes. ...that is haunting the Drury Lane Theatre... Yeah. ...where they're now doing the Frozen the musical. Yes. <laughs> yes, amazing.
0: <laughs> that poor man. Absolutely. But despite the fact that his ghost apparently decides the Theatre Royal is the place to be, the Covent Garden Theatre is generally the one that he's most associated with. Okay. He also, during this time, travelled to Dublin... And he performed in the Astley's Amphitheatre, which was a rundown theatre that was badly in need of repair. <laughs> okay. The performance, as a result, was not a great success. Mm. There were not many people willing to go to, basically, a death trap (laughs) theatre. Yeah, fair enough. So, as a result, Grimaldi donated his salary to help cover the cost of the repairs. Oh! Not only that, he also took the theatre troupe and basically rented a different theatre and ran their show in order to raise money for Astley's Amphitheatre. That's really cute. It's really cute, isn't it? Like... We said last, I said last week that, you know, Joseph Grimaldi, much nicer than his father. Yeah, that's a nice thing to do. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Especially given that he's got a growing family and
0: wasn't able to get his £2 a week from the original theatre. No, but his new Covent Garden theatre seems to be paying off because he actually buys a second home. Oh, wow. In Finchley, he buys a country retreat Ooh. where he could retire between seasons.
1: I mean, that sounds like a good idea.
0: I think so, too. He probably needs to rest. Yeah. <laughs> rest his broken, broken body.
1: Yeah. Rest up his probably gangrenous foot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're <gross. laughs> But accurate. Yeah. Uh, His performances in London continue to draw huge crowds and his performance in Thomas Dibdin's Christmas pantomime, Harlequin and Mother Goose, or or The Golden Egg, is considered one of the greatest performances of the era of any actor. Despite receiving numerous reviews calling him a genius and a master artist, Grimaldi actually considered this role to be one of his worst performances of his career. And okay. he actually sank into a further depression because of it.
1: Oh damn! Yeah, I mean, calm down, though, Tchaikovsky. You know, <laughs>
0: Tchaikovsky.
1: Like, you know how Tchaikovsky is. Like, you know, uh, the Nutcracker. He oh. hated it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused. I thought you had got them confused. <laughs> no. I thought, where did Tchaikovsky come from? It's
1: like, it's just that thing, you know, where it's like, everyone loves this. Well, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> that thing I've made that's popular.
0: Ugh. I know. But I think this is the thing with Grimaldi is I'm, as I've said a number of times now, I'm pretty sure he suffered from depression. And I think that he had this very critical artistic streak.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I kind of imagine that sometimes you have people who are perfectionists like that, and if you tell them, like, the more people say your thing is good, the more you kind of backlash against that. Yeah,
0: I think that's what's going on here. Poor man. Yeah, and unfortunately, that word again, it gets worse. Oh no. By 1812, he was actually close to bankruptcy. What? How? Well, the thing was, his generosity... Coupled with his wife's spending, right. his two homes and his son's private education, and the fact that his accountant had been stealing from him, oh, right. okay. meant that Grimaldi was basically forced to get rid of the second home and accept as many provincial shows as he could. Okay. On one noted occasion, uh, he performed at Cheltenham in a production of Don Juan. Okay. Based on the Lord Byron poem. Yeah. Playing Scaramouche. <laughs> Who, As in Scaramouche, Scaramouche, I, will you do the Fandango? I think quite possibly. Wonderful. <laughs> now, during this run, he actually met Lord Byron. Oh, right. After whose poem the play was based. Who was like... Your foot hurts, my foot hurts too. Let's be friends. (laughs) Well, it turns out he definitely wanted to be friends because Lord Byron was a huge fan of Grimaldi. Really?
1: Yeah. I mean, that says a lot about how morbidly he must have been playing the clown, right? Because Lord (laughs) Byron's got particular preferences.
0: Well, you say that. The thing is that later on, Grimaldi's performances definitely became morbid. Right. But I think that at this point they kind of aren't like they're, they're maybe Byron is reacting to the sort of chaotic slightly yeah. dark side to it but either way Lord Byron really loved Grimaldi in his performances wow, All which, right. I mean it just surprises me anyway like Lord Byron does not seem like the kind of person to be a fan of someone really
1: uh yeah no probably not
0: No, I I kind of imagine him being a bit of a smug hipster.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is how I've always imagined Byron. Yeah. To be fair, I've never actually studied him specifically. (laughs) I've studied things around him. Yeah.
0: Well, he, uh, Lord Byron, described Grimaldi as having great and unbound... Oh, sorry, no. Lord Byron said that he had great and unbounded satisfaction in becoming acquainted with a man of such rare and profound talents. Wow. Which, I mean, pretty high praise. That is high praise. Especially coming from Byron. Yeah. Now, despite this success, Grimaldi was suffering from a number of health problems due mostly to the fact that he'd put his body under so much strain. Yeah. Doing acrobatic feats from, like, from single-digit age.
1: Yeah, I mean, how old is he at this point? So
0: this is 1812. He was born in 1778, so he would be 34. Okay. And at that point, your back does start going.
1: I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're 30. I've had a sore lower back for the yeah. last fortnight.
0: And I can't remember when you last did tumbling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I've never done tumbling.
0: <laughs> and not just that, but I mean, Grimaldi's performances... When he tumbled... He would not just do, like, acrobatic stuff, but he would, like, knock himself around. Yeah. He'd do, like, comedic pratfalls and land on his back and things like that. And they did
1: not have soft landings in those days.
0: No, absolutely not. This led, in 1814, to him being bedridden for several months. Oh, God. Which, of course, is just going to worsen his depression. That's not good for his health. No. And his depression was made even worse... By the news that his friend, mentor, and ex-father-in-law, Richard Hughes, had died. Oh, no. And I think this took a real toll on Grimaldi because other relationships started worsening. Mm. In 1815, the relationship between Grimaldi and longtime friend and playwright, Thomas Dibdin, Mm. became strained. Oh, No. Dibdin had become the manager at Sadler's Wells and he basically denied Grimaldi's request for a month's leave in order to tour the provincial theatres. Okay. As we've seen he can make a fair amount of money touring yeah. those theatres and he kind of needs it.
1: I wonder if Dibdin got a bit you know pissed off at the fact that he was like I was in your play and it was the worst performance that I've ever done.
0: Could be as well yeah that would actually make a lot of sense.
1: Like I'd be quite upset by that If I gave somebody a role and was like,
0: this is my play,
1: and then they were like, oh, it's
0: absolutely dreadful. This is the worst thing I've ever done. Well, there's also another reason that Dibdin would be annoyed at Grimaldi. Yeah? And this is due to something that's only really a small part of Grimaldi's life. I couldn't find much information about it. Was it the pigeon racing? No, it wasn't. (laughs) It was pigeon rearing. We don't know if he ever raced them. (laughs) I know,
1: but in my mind, it's become, you know, proper pigeon... Racing.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, it's because Grimaldi did have another role in the Sadler's Wells Theatre. Oh, yeah? He was the chief judge and treasurer of the Sadler's Wells Court of Rectitude. What is, this- is that? <laughs> <laughs> this was a body which is basically set up to regulate the behaviour of performers.
1: Okay, basically right. Basically make
0: sure that everything's above board in terms of, you know, that stage life, their personal life, and that everything they're doing on stage is, you know, fine for the audience.
1: Right.
0: Now Dibdin did not like Grimaldi in this role because Grimaldi had a really tolerant attitude. Oh. He was ready to let performers get away with a lot of stuff like pushing the bar of their performances. And Dibden kind of saw this as a bit of a hazard because, you know, it's only going to be a short while before someone begins suing or something.
1: Yeah, this was a time when people had very particular sensitivities, yeah. I guess. I... Don't know exactly what they're necessarily talking about, but like this is even before people used to think that, say, it was a bit risque to go to France and see people doing the cancan, you know? Yeah,
0: absolutely. This
1: is ladies in diaphanous dresses. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, this strained relationship led to the two parting company, okay. and Grimaldi went on his northern tour. Incidentally, earning him much more than yeah. he would have done at Sadler's Wells. And, as we saw with Drury Lane, Sadler's Wells suffered without Grimaldi. And Dibdin was forced to plead with Grimaldi to return. Yep. Dibdin actually agreed to pay Grimaldi's new salary, but he refused to agree with other terms of his employment. Right. I don't know exactly what those are, mm. but I suspect, given the whole thing about the... uh the court of rectitude yeah i imagine it's probably doing some more i guess you can consider avant-garde theater stuff
1: right i kind of wonder whether when they talk about the court of rectitude like there was kind of a traditional way of viewing actresses particularly as you know basically sex workers oh i see so i wonder whether there was something about like the way the female actors deported themselves as well
0: could be I really don't know, to be honest. Um, But what this did lead to is Dibdin once once again basically saying, I'm not having this. And he didn't give Grimaldi his old job back and actually gave the role of the clown to a different performer, (gasps) the little known Signor Paolo. Oh. Yeah. Grimaldi decides you know what fine i'm gonna do my own thing okay and i'm gonna get my son involved
1: yay how old is the kid
0: oh god at this point i don't know (laughs) (laughs) still two great no i think he's about 10 to be fair in fact probably more than that he might be a teenager at this point all right all right uh so they perform together in a pantomime of Robinson Crusoe. Really? Yes. Grimaldi played the titular character and JS, his son, played Man Friday in a performance that I'm sure was in no way racist. Sure. (laughs) It was probably incredibly racist. Almost
1: definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, even the fact that you'd be doing blackface. Yeah. Yeah. Just no good. No. No good. No good at all.
1: Like, even my favourite... You know Jane Austen. Yeah, she does make a comment at one point. I think during Emma. Yeah. About the i about the fact that she considered being a um, oh gosh, what did they call those female tutors back in those days? Governess. Yes, she said that being a governess was worse than being a slave. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's... um
1: On the basis that if you're a slave, at least you've got friends around you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that's all she ever said on slavery. Wow. It's like, oh, Jane, stay in your lane, lady. Yeah,
0: pretty much. Well, what the performance did was that it satisfied Grimaldi that his son would be an excellent performer in his own right mm. and that he wouldn't basically be reliant on Grimaldi to, you know, be a good performer. So they went on tour together, and they did pretty well. Okay. And in 1818, Richard Hughes' widow and majority shareholder of Sadler's Wells, Lucy Hughes, pleaded with Grimaldi to return once more. She agreed to pay him 12 guineas a week, and he received a one-eighth share of the theatre. Wow. All right. As such, he began getting involved with actually producing plays. Mm. His first performance... Back at Sadler's Wells, was to be in the Marquis de Carabas or oh. Puss in Boots. Yeah, the show was a disaster. Oh, really? Yeah. Grimaldi was actually booed off stage oh after audiences were disgusted with an impromptu joke he did that involved him eating a prop mouse. Oh, I considering like before we talked about him like doing repulsive acts of eating i don't know why this one was apparently so bad
1: well i mean given that when
0: we talked
1: about Tourette, yeah. one of the things that he did was eat a lot of apples that and people true, were yeah. very astonished by this yeah that's like true. maybe he was just eating a lot of apples
0: <laughs> <laughs> could very well be and now
1: he's like i'm gonna eat a prop mouse and people are like Ew, yeah we don't want to see that
0: well apparently this caused fights to break out in the audience
1: What did I tell you about, you know, audiences for plays and stuff? They're very
0: riotous. They really are. And as a result, the show closed after only one night. Wow. Reviewers were scathing criticising Grimaldi's weak performance. Oh. And this is probably the first bad review he's ever had.
1: Yeah, I don't think this will go well.
0: No. So he decides he's going to reignite his career, he's going to use his share in Sadler's Wells, and he's going to stage his own production, casting his wife, his son, his friend, Jack Bologna, and Jack Bologna's wife in various roles. Oh, don't
1: do that.
0: No. But it doesn't go wrong for the reason you might think. Okay. It's more the fact that the effort required to run the theatre took such a strain on Grimaldi that he basically is like, I cannot do this. I am literally killing myself. Yeah,
1: I mean, it sounds like he's making himself into one of those director-producer-writer people, and if your wife is also an
0: actor in it, who is supporting you right now? Yeah, and his health is just continuing to get worse and worse. Yeah. So this forces him to end up selling the shares in the Sadler's Wells Theatre, probably for the best. Probably for the best. In 1821, his health had severely deteriorated, and he was unable to perform many of his contracted shows. As a result, his son J.S. stood in for him. Oh wow! Dressing in his father's makeup and basically pretending to be him. You yeah, remember you said yeah, earlier? I did. You someone I did. to pretend to be him.
1: The- Isn't that a tradition in clowning
0: now? It, that I don't people
1: know. Uh, that people inherit the makeup of their fathers. Oh,
0: that might be a thing. I don't know. If you're a clown, let us know. Mm. Unfortunately, JS did not like this. He had developed something of a complex about being compared to his father.
1: Understandable.
0: Yeah. Basically, he was like, "I'm good. Yeah. But I'm never going to be." As good as my father. Well, not even that, I'm just never going to be anything but Joseph Grimaldi's son. Yeah. So, JS took to drinking pretty heavily. Oh, no. And he was belligerent. Uh, During one performance, when a member of the audience began heckling, JS started shouting and verbally abusing the guy. Oh, no. Yeah. Which, really not good. No. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If eating a mouse is not a good thing, no, then that's definitely not a good thing. By
0: 1823, Grimaldi was unable to complete the run of pretty much any show. Like, he mm. could do a few, but then his health would just completely collapse. Yeah. As a result, he officially retired from performing. And this is at the age of 45. Okay. But even though he officially retired, he didn't actually. He continued performing, but with a different character. Okay. Okay. He altered his character to reflect kind of his own attitude. His worsening health and his depression gave birth to the character of the sad clown. Oh, okay. Now, there are some theories that Charles Dickens had a role in the creation of this character. Right. I couldn't find anything to actually verify this. Okay um well tell
1: me about the sad clown and i'll see if i can think of any like (laughs) any facts
0: well the thing is that the sad clown is pretty much what you might be thinking of he's the clown that's mopey he sits around he doesn't really do the physical tumbling Mm. he's just kind of there to be comically depressed yeah essentially
1: i could see that being somewhat shaped by charles
0: dickens yeah
1: just in terms of he had a few characters that were like that
0: yeah Oh, yeah, definitely. Um But this did, it, like, give a temporary sort of boost to Grimaldi's career once again. Mm. And, again, it's another thing that has kind of survived him in his legacy. Like, the idea of the sad clown comes from Grimaldi. That's
1: amazing. Yeah. So... A complete tangent here. Yeah. The best version of Romeo and Juliet that I ever saw was at the Globe, and they used the idea of clowns. Oh, nice. Like, everyone was a clown in it. Like, everyone had clown makeup on. Yeah. And... Romeo is a sad clown, he comes on with, like, a teardrop painted under his eye, and he's completely uh, yeah. in white, yeah. and he's moping and eating Doritos, which is possibly <laughs> the best version of Romeo at the beginning of the play I've ever seen. That's
0: amazing.
1: <laughs> it was shockingly
0: good. Yeah. Now, one of the other possible legacies of Grimaldi of this era is actually a joke. Okay. Now, you know this joke. Oh. And many of our audience probably know this joke. I don't know exactly if we can attribute it to Grimaldi. Okay. I think that this is a thing that Grimaldi claims happened to him, or at least some people say that Grimaldi claimed it. Right, right. That is about as much certainty (laughs) as I can give this. Okay. What's the joke? The joke is a man goes to a doctor. Says, I'm depressed, I'm sad, life seems awful, and I can't possibly do anything about it. The doctor says, the cure is easy. You must go see Joseph Grimaldi playing at the theatre each night. You will not leave there unhappy. The man bursts into tears and says, but doctor, I am Joseph Grimaldi.
1: Yes, no, I do know that. Where do I know that joke
0: from? I mean... From a number of places, but you might be thinking of Watchmen.
1: I am thinking of Watchmen because it's delivered with this, like, really tragic sense to it. Yeah.
0: But it's not Grimaldi in that version. No. I forget who it is. Um, It's another
1: Italian-sounding name.
0: Yeah, it is. So I don't know. I don't know if this is, like, real or if this is just something that's kind of being created as a sort of legend after the fact. I'm prepared to believe it. Yeah. Um... Grimaldi it's, was depressed
1: it's hard to say whether he would have visited a doctor for that but maybe yeah.
0: like perhaps he'd visit a doctor for low spirits yeah. but not necessarily think they'd be able to do anything about it yeah so I don't know I don't know yeah. we can leave it as a possibility audiences really enjoyed Grimaldi's new clown but Grimaldi remained unhappy in his day to day life he basically said that he would be grim all day but could make you laugh all night
1: is that just a pun though
0: quite possibly <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i hadn't even noticed <laughs> i haven't even noticed grim all day <laughs> god's sake i'm such a moron no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good pun
1: it's a really good pun god damn it <laughs>
0: I'm so annoyed.
1: But look, Grimaldi's still making us laugh, like three hundred years later. Well
0: done, Grimaldi. Well, back to the sadness. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> because despite having a bit of a revival, he had reduced earnings because he wasn't touring regularly or like performing regularly. So he had like a sort of pension from right. from some of the bigger theatres that he'd been with, but it wasn't enough at all. Mm. And this was compounded by the fact that J.S., during this time, had actually become estranged from his parents. Mm. They only communicated occasionally by letter, one of which was Joseph Grimaldi basically begging his son for money.
1: Oh, man, no.
0: His son wrote back and said that he didn't have any money right now, but he'd send him some soon. Never sent any. Yeah, they only saw each other on a few occasions in which Grimaldi and his son were in the same performance And by 1827 Grimaldi was forced to support himself on a job teaching new actors at Sadler's Wells mm. However, one night he and his wife were awoken to find J.S. standing in the street outside their house Oh! He was feverish and starving
1: Oh, my God. He had
0: severe money problems and was definitely in sort of late-stage alcoholism. Yeah. He also had spent some time in debtor's prison. Oh. So he moved back in with his parents, which, you know, is not going to make things any easier. No. By 1832, they had to move to Islington to a smaller house to deal with their money problems. And JS basically was a massive liability. He would bring home sex workers, Mm -hmm. or else he would bring home drunken pub friends who would start fights in the Grimaldi's home. Oh, God. JS actually died later that year due to his alcoholism, Mm. and at this point Grimaldi and his wife decided that they'd had enough. Joseph's health problems and injuries had caused him to become entirely disabled. He could not walk at all. He was relying on charitable donations from friends and theatre organisations just to stay afloat. Not just that, but just before their son's death, Mary had suffered a stroke. Oh no. The two decided to make a suicide pact. Oh my god. basically couldn't see any way out of this. Yeah. So, they drank poison, lay down in bed together and closed their eyes. Then Mary opened her eyes and asked joseph are you dead he responded no are you <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> you know that's how that would go down yeah
0: The two survived their attempted poisoning. They basically hadn't taken enough to kill them, but they did suffer from severe stomach cramps as a result. I'd
1: imagine. Yeah.
0: Two years later in 1834, Mary did die and Joseph spent his last few years living alone. He would frequent the local pub, but required a friend to come over and basically carry him there and back. Now this has actually led rise to a myth that exists even to this day. Yeah. And you'll find it in many places, including on Wikipedia. This idea that Joseph Grimaldi was an alcoholic, like his son.
1: Oh, right, because he's being carried to the pub.
0: Exactly. Carried to and, importantly, yeah. back from the pub. But actually, there's very little evidence that he was an alcoholic. It seems like he went to the pub basically to stay social yeah. and to entertain people because, you know, that's what he does.
1: Well, yeah, also because... I'm assuming that might be where he's eating as well.
0: Yeah, quite possibly.
1: I mean, in A Christmas Carol, there's a whole thing about Scrooge only lives off gruel because he's a miser. He doesn't, actually. He has a dinner beforehand, Mm. like before he goes home, at a tavern, because Uh, that's what you used to do if you were a single man. That's the bit of undigested beef. That's the bit of (laughs) undigested beef.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, as I say, this, this has led rise to even modern people saying that he became an alcoholic, but... People who actually study the history of clowning say that there's very little, if no, evidence that he really ever had any problem with drink whatsoever. Mm. Which is pretty amazing because you'd think that he'd need something to sort of dull the pain of his various injuries. But
1: it sounds like he's one of those people who like threw himself really into his work. Yeah, and that was how he avoided sort of possibly more dangerous yeah. forms of could very like, well abuse.
0: be. Yeah. Well, on the 31st of May, 1837, uh, at the age of 59, Joseph Grimaldi complained of a tightening in his chest Mm. and he was brought home from the pub by a friend. His housekeeper found him the next morning, having died in the night, and he was buried on the 5th of June in St. James's churchyard. After Joseph Grimaldi's death, Charles Dickens wrote a newspaper biography of Joseph Grimaldi under his pseudonym, Boz. Mm -hmm. The memoirs of Grimaldi the Clown sold incredibly well, which actually surprised Charles Dickens.
1: Yeah, it would surprise me at that
0: point. Yeah, because despite the fact that Grimaldi hadn't been, like, a prominent figure on the stage for some time, he was pretty widely mourned. People still remembered him, and... I'm not gonna lie, people still remember him to this day. Like, Mm. I know that we talk about, like, unusual figures from history, but there are definitely circles in which Joseph Grimaldi is really fondly remembered. Since his death, his burial site and the area around it has been named joseph grimaldi park okay and since the 1940s a special service is held every year on the first sunday in february at the holy trinity church in hackney in honor of joseph grimaldi really clowns from around the world (laughs) attend in a sort of pilgrimage all attending dressed in their various clown garb wow And in 2010, a monument was erected to Grimaldi, which is a coffin-shaped design made of bronze musical tiles on which it is possible to play Hot Codlins, one of Grimaldi's most famous songs.
1: Okay, when you say musical tiles, do you mean like you can press down on them? You can play them. Wow. Yeah, you can play them.
0: You can play his song on them.
1: That's incredible. Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
0: And not just that, final thing, because it's a kind of a weird bittersweet melding that like can only really happen in reality and would look hackneyed in fiction Mm. in 2017 a film was released titled grimaldi the funniest man in the world okay which was a biopic about grimaldi's life Mm. and it starred the chuckle brothers what yeah no (laughs) paul chuckle played jack bologna yeah and barry chuckle Played Joseph Grimaldi, and this was actually Barry Chuckles' last performance before he died. Oh my god! Which is just like a weird—that's weird mashup of things, right there. So. Joseph Grimaldi had a pretty extraordinary life. I haven't included all his various performances. If you go to his Wikipedia page, they list them. His page is massive. (laughs) Like, the amount of stuff he did is absolutely insane. And it's far too much for us to cover In this podcast.
1: So out of interest, just in case it's something you do know, you've said that he's the father of clowning Mm -hmm. and that he created the clown makeup. Yeah. How quickly was that taken up by other people?
0: Almost immediately. Okay. Like the, as I said, the nickname of Joey's was something that happened in his lifetime. Right. Other people were basically like, we are going to learn from Grimaldi and Mm. like adopt this new style of clowning it was really popular and really caught on but i think that it was generally considered that if you were going to see one of these clowns you wanted to see grimaldi right i think that mostly if you were seeing another clown it was because you hadn't been able to get tickets to see grimaldi
1: (laughs) fair enough i like that one of the main examples of the sad clown that i've seen is in adventure time is it Yes, there's an episode where Jake the dog's oh, tail yes. becomes a sad clown yeah. in a little circus
0: and like frees a squirrel. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, there you go. <laughs> that that tail is Joseph Grimaldi. It is. Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4 and suggest any episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com.
1: The easiest way to support us right now would be to give us a like and subscribe or whatever you have on your listening app of choice. That'll help us to get more new listeners, which would be really, really great. Uh, Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby has used in this podcast.
0: And thank you for listening. Now go out invest in eels, and pay attention to when someone is quite obviously making a pun.
1: (laughs) Bye!